John chapter 8 from verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, he said, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not demon-possessed. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. 
At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory glory means nothing. My Father, who you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. It's the last and it's the greatest day of the Festival of Tabernacles. Now at this festival... They remembered how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt and they remembered how God had guided them through the wilderness. Do you remember how he did that? If you know the story, he guided them at night by a a pillar of fire that lit up their way. And so at this festival in Jerusalem, they'd camp out in in little sort of tents, booths to remember the way that they'd, they'd camped out in the wilderness. And also they'd light up these four great torches in the temple courts and apparently they'd dance through the night holding torches of their own as well. They were celebrating what Psalm 27 celebrates, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And at the same time they were looking forward to what the, uh, the prophet Isaiah looked forward to when in chapter 60 he wrote that God would shine on them again. He wrote, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. So in the midst midst of this festival, maybe as it's just on twilight, maybe just as they're about to light up the great torches, and just as, as the people are gasping at their brightness, Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Given the context, it's a massive claim, isn't it? But what exactly is Jesus claiming here for himself? Now, in some ways, we we don't really get to see what he's claiming for himself until next week, until chapter 9, when John comes back to this theme of light. Because straight away, the conversation descends into the Pharisees challenging Jesus' claim to have authority, uh, the authority to make this kind of claim. So it's next week that we see John take up this theme again of light and darkness. But even before then, we start to get an idea of what the darkness is that he's talking about. 
and we start to get an idea of what it means to follow Jesus the light and we start to get an idea of what kind of light Jesus is. And these are our three points for today. We see a bit more of the darkness is when Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We see a bit more of what it means to follow Jesus when he says, freedom comes from holding to his teaching. And finally, we see a bit more of what a kind of light Jesus is when we see that Jesus is able to free us from slavery because he is the great I am. So let's jump in to see where Jesus describes the darkness that he shines into. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now he says this, notice, to people who have started to believe in him. He tells this to, to, to followers in verse 31, and he tells them that if they stick with him, they'll be set free. But they're really not happy with Jesus saying this. They say in verse 33, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, sure, they're, they're celebrating how God freed them from slavery to the Egyptians. And since that time, they've pretty much been slaves of all sorts of nations. And right now, they're slaves of the, the Romans in many ways. But in their minds, because of their racial and, and religious background, they think they're already the enlightened. They think they're already free. So they don't need Jesus. And his offer to free them is kind of offensive. I think it's not just them back then that feel like this. I mean, when you talk to the average Australian, it seems like they don't really see their need for Jesus either. We think we're all right without him. Look at Australia. It's one of the most peaceful, prosperous places on this planet. Some people find it hard to imagine what Jesus can possibly give us that we don't already have. But Jesus shines his light on these people in John 8 and he says to them that the truth is, no, they're not fine and no, they're not free. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. They might not be literal slaves to other people, but they are slaves to something far worse. If they sin... They're slaves to sin. Notice that the way that Jesus says this makes it relevant to everyone who sins. It's pretty comprehensive. And so it's worth us just stopping and, and thinking, does this impact us? And the answer, of course, depends on whether or not we've sinned. Sin sounds old-fashioned, the word. It, it sounds like religious jargon. But at its heart, Sin is incredibly simple. It's simply refusing to acknowledge God's right to be the God of you. It's simply rebelling against His right to rule your life. That rebellion can be quite obvious and, and aggressive, or it can be quite subtle and polite. But sin is essentially not letting God rule you. And everyone who has either politely or rudely told God that he's not welcome to have full rule of their life, Jesus says they've become a slave of sin. I reckon we don't normally think of sin as slavery, do we? We'd use a different word normally. 
It's, it's a bit ironic, but the word that we'd use for throwing off God's rule of our lives is freedom. It's doing whatever I want to do. It's living and creating my own destiny without having to worry about what God thinks. Isn't that freedom? But that kind of freedom isn't true freedom at all. You know, a fish isn't free when it throws off the boundaries of the ocean and sunbakes on the beach. It's free when it's in the ocean. We're not free when we reject God. We're signing ourselves over to an awful kind of slavery, Jesus says. We're choosing to be ruled not by a good, loving God. We're choosing to be ruled by sin. Where's that going to take us? What kind of master is sin going to prove to be for us? Did you know that the Taliban were celebrated and and welcomed by the Afghani people as as bringing freedom. In 1994 to 1996, people thought they were going to liberate the country and be exactly what they needed, and they were celebrated. But what looked like freedom very quickly turned out to be a horrible slavery. And during their five-year reign from 1996 to 2001, they committed massacres against their own people, They wouldn't let the UN provide food for 160,000 people who were starving. They had a kind of scorched earth policy where they burnt thousands and thousands of acres of fertile land and destroyed tens of thousands of homes. Sometimes what looks like freedom in the end proves to be slavery. Make no mistake, sin is a master like that. Refusing to let God rule, it always takes us to slavery. And it's a slavery in the end that takes us to death and judgment. As we look around at our world, we shouldn't be surprised to see evidence of this. Why are there so many horrible and, and stupid wars? It's because people are slaves to sin. Why do we need royal commissions into banks and the treatment of elderly and the treatment of children? It's because people are slaves to sin. Why do so many marriages fall apart, even though the effects are so devastating on the individuals emotionally and financially and so devastating on the kids? It's because we're slaves to sin. Why is there so much pornography and so much darkness on the web and envy and jealousy and abuse and troublemaking and discontentment? Why can't we live sustainably? Why are we so greedy? It's because we're slaves to sin. Just try to give up being selfish for one week. And we see it. We see how true it is. We can't do it. Jesus is absolutely right, of course, when he says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And at times we feel our slavery, but a lot of the time, like the people Jesus speaks to, people don't feel enslaved by sin. And so a lot of the time, people don't see their need for Jesus to set them free. Jesus tells the people that he's speaking to why they can't hear the truth of what he's saying, no matter what he says and no matter what he does. Look again at at verse 43. He says, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. They think God's their father, but by rejecting Jesus... He says they show that the devil is actually their father. This is a twist that I'm sure they weren't expecting. This is, you know, more 
unexpected, then the Empire strikes back with Luke and Darth Vader. And of course, it's far more sinister and disturbing. Jesus says they're like their father. And in case we're not sure what the devil is truly like, look at what he says in verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, if, if you're like me, maybe you feel like Jesus has been pretty harsh here. Jesus is, is speaking to them, these people in front of him, but it, it feels like he's looking beyond them and he's wanting to say something about all humanity. Is Jesus really saying that if we reject him, that we show ourselves to be liars and life-takers like the devil? That's pretty extreme, isn't it? It's pretty hard to stomach. But if you think about it, every time we sin, without fail, we're telling at least ourselves a lie. We're pretending that even though God is the clear ruler of the universe, we're pretending that what we want is more important than what he wants. That's telling ourselves a lie. Who are we to think that we know better than God? Who are we to think that what we want is more important than what God wants? And when you think about it, every time we sin, we're in some sense life-taking. We're draining life from someone, either from ourselves or someone else or both. So think about something even as innocent as speeding. You know, when we speed, we're telling ourselves a lie. We're telling ourselves that we know better than the people who set the speed limit. We're telling ourselves that we're in control and that nothing could possibly go wrong. And even in something as innocent as speeding, aren't we risking being life-takers? Aren't we risking the safety of those around us? And, and what for? We're taking the lives of others into our hands so that we can save a few seconds on our journey. Or think about something as harmless as pornography. To indulge in pornography is to live a lie. It's to tell ourselves that our pleasure comes first. It's to lie to ourselves that it can satisfy us. It's to lie to ourselves that it is harmless when we know it's self-destructive, when we know that it destroys relationships. And you know what? Pornography is life-taking as well. It's demeaning. It's draining the life of others. It's exploiting. It's reducing them from being people made in the image of God to being mere objects. Or think about something like abortion. Our world around us at the moment is celebrating abortion as, as a great triumph in freedom. But it's not freedom. It's a lie. Mothers who go through abortions, they usually don't find freedom. They usually find themselves racked with guilt year after year. They find themselves heartbroken. That in itself is life-taking, even without stating the obvious that a baby has lost its life. The truth is, all sin really is lying and life-taking. And the scary truth is that we're drawn to lies. We're drawn to life-taking. We're not as bad as we could be. No one is ever 
as bad as they could be. But we are all enslaved by sin without Jesus. And Jesus says to people like us, he promises he can free us. Verse 31, look again. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is how freedom comes to us. Freedom comes from holding to Jesus' teaching. Jesus was absolutely right to challenge these believers in chapter 8 to become true disciples. He's right to challenge them to step fully into the light and see the truth because it, it very quickly becomes obvious that they've got no interest in holding to his teaching. As soon as his teaching clashes with their belief, they don't hold on, they let him go. They only believe when it's convenient. They only like Jesus when he, when he fits their mould and, and when he doesn't, when it's inconvenient, when he's downright offensive, they don't hold on to his teaching. Look at what they end up holding on to in verse 59. They hold on to stones to kill him. Now, right across this passage, in, in lots of different ways, Jesus has been pushing them to, he's pushing them hard to see that what they really need is to hold to his teaching. They need to see their need for freedom from sin. They need to see that Jesus can free them. And they need to go on holding on to him as their only hope. So have a very quick look across the passage with me. In verse 31, he says, if you hold to my teaching. Literally, he says, if you remain in my word, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In verse 37, Jesus says, the problem is that they have no room for his word. In verse 43, the problem is that they're unable to hear what he says. Literally, they can't hear his word. In verse 45 and 46, he speaks the truth. In verse 47, he speaks what God says, the message of God. In verse 51, Jesus says that whoever obeys or guards his word, they will never see death, ever. Do you get the overwhelming picture that, that Jesus is giving here? Freedom from sin. Freedom to be a part of God's family. Freedom from spiritual death, from judgment and God's anger. It comes through hearing Jesus' word and holding on to it as our only hope. And do you see what this means for us? Jesus' word, it, it does far more than, than shed light on how to live well in this life, how to be happy and successful. It does far more than that. It does far more than shed light on ethical questions, how to live a moral life. Now, it's true that, that Jesus does shed light on these things. You know, think about what we can see clearly because of Jesus. Think of the, the truth that we can know without a doubt because of Jesus. Things like we know without a doubt that all people are equal before God. We know all human life is valuable. No matter how weak or vulnerable it is, it's valuable. It's to be protected. We know that marriages matter. We know gender is a real thing and, and a gift from God, not a burden. We know compassion and, and mercy and generosity are beautiful. We know that truth and justice don't belong to whoever yells the loudest. We know that relationships are at the center of reality. All these things we know because of the light from Jesus. 
We know that love of God and love of neighbor is at the heart of life. We know that sacrificial service, even putting others before ourselves, is what God loves and what this world needs. All these things we see because of the light that Jesus shines. But we see far more than that. Jesus shines light on us. And what we see is that without him, we're all in darkness. We're all slaves facing death and God's judgment. But he shines his light and we see that whoever we are, whatever we've done, Jesus can set us free. Not because he shows us how to live an ethical life so that we can somehow free ourselves. Our only hope is to cling to him, to hold to him, to remain in him, to follow the light. Because we can't live a good enough life. We need Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. When we hold to Jesus, did you see the rock-solid promise that he gives us? That no matter how deep our slavery is, no matter what we've done, we'll never, ever see death. And this brings us to our last point. Jesus is able to free us from slavery because he is the great I Am. If you've got your Bible open there, look over this passage again very briefly and notice across this passage who Jesus claims to be. In verse 36, Jesus is the son who sets slaves free. In 38, he's the one who speaks what he's seen seen with his father. In verse 40, he speaks the truth from God. In 42, he's come from God. In 46, he is without sin. 47, He speaks the words of God. In 51, he's able to save from death. In 54, he is glorified by God the Father. In 56, he's greater than Abraham and anticipated by Abraham. See, Jesus is nothing like these people he speaks with. He knows exactly who he is. And he doesn't glorify himself here. That's not what's going on. God glorifies him. And if Jesus were to pretend otherwise, he'd be lying. Something he's never going to do. But he's not just telling the truth about himself for the sake of it. He's telling them the truth about himself for a reason. And the reason is because if they hold on to that truth about him, they'll be set free. Jesus, he can't downplay his significance because it would be a lie, but also because holding on to who he is, his significance, is what sets us free. Jesus either leaves us to glorify what will enslave us and kill us or he reveals the truth of who he is, the one who rightly deserves our glory. And more than that, he is God himself among us. Have a look at verse 8. While they're still struggling to see just who Jesus is, notice he doesn't say to them, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I was... No, Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. That's the truth that will set us free. Now, this might sound a bit of a strange way of speaking, but the people there, they absolutely understand what Jesus is saying. It's clear to them, but they can't accept it. They pick up stones to kill Jesus because they recognize that Jesus is making a claim to be divine, but they won't accept the truth. 
the name for God in the Old Testament is Yahweh, which, which means I am who I am. So back in Exodus 3 verse 14, when Moses asked God his name, God says, I am who I am. He says to Moses, you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. And then Jesus says here, before Abraham was born, I am. Do you see what this means? The one who tells us to hold on to him is the one who is God. He is the maker and sustainer of life. He has the right to address the world and to say, I am the light of the world. No one else, nothing else has that right. He has the right to address us and to say that we are slaves to sin. And most importantly for us, he has the power to end our slavery to sin and save us from death. And as we hold to the truth, as we hold to him, the great I am, we are set free. One of the more stupid things I've done in life is to go caving underprepared. There are these caves in Armadale. Here's a friend when we went. And they sort of have an underground river that, that goes through them. And after a couple of minutes of squeezing through rocks like that, that you can see up there, suddenly you're in pitch blackness. You can't see a thing. One time I went with a couple of guys, but we only had one head torch between us. Like I said, stupid. And after we'd been going for a few minutes, one of the guys that I went with freaked out and, and became irrational or sensible, depending on your perspective. <laughs> and he decided that he wanted to go back. He just he couldn't go on. And so we decided we'd better take him back before it got really tight and, and really scary down there. But since we only had one head torch, we decided that I'd wait in the dark while the other two went back. And then my friend would come back and get me and we'd go on. Now I thought I'd be fine, you know. I thought I'd be right. But those five minutes of waiting in thick darkness were actually quite mentally challenging. I was surrounded by rock. And all I could hear was the water gushing somewhere down below. And I started to think, what would I do if no one came back for me? Can I just say that's not really a good thought to have when you're surrounded by rock in darkness under the ground. But having said that, can I say that that is exactly the question we need to ask ourselves if we've never stepped into Jesus' light? What if you never step into Jesus' light? What if you face God still enslaved by your sin. It's not a nice thought to have. It's a terrifying thought. But you know, until we see that darkness, our darkness, why would we step into the light? We just won't. There in that cave, I never doubted I was in the darkness. It was obvious. I knew the truth that if, if no one came back with the light, I had no hope of getting out of there alive. And when I started to see flickers of the light on the wall and, and then finally saw my friend's face, you can imagine my relief. And when he said to me, shall we keep going? I tell you what didn't even cross my mind. It never crossed my mind to say, no, you go on without me. I'm just going to make my own way. No way. 
with just one head torch between us, I can tell you I stuck closer to him than I'm normally comfortable with most blokes. (laughs) Jesus, he really is the light of the world. But for some reason, some of us don't see it. Without him, we really are in darkness. Sin is not the kind of master that you want. Without Jesus, we face eternal death and judgment. But with him, we have the light of life. Nothing else can give us that. No one else is worth following. No one and nothing else is worth glorifying but him, the great I am. Anything else that we look to, anything else that we give our life to, in the end, it'll only enslave us and lead us further into the darkness, but with Jesus, by holding to him, we will never, ever face God's judgment. We will never see death. We will always, Jesus says, walk in the light of life. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see Jesus for who he really is, the light of the world our only hope. And Father, when he points out what we don't want to see, the truth about ourselves, the truth about him, Lord, please open our eyes to accept it. Help us to see that only Jesus is worthy of our devotion, our love, our, our giving our life to, and that giving our lives to things that try to cut you out of our lives, Lord, actually enslaves us and destines us for death and judgment. Father, help us to see your heart for us, that you want to adopt us into your family and give us eternal life and joy by your side. Lord, we pray for those who don't see this. Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes to see that this is the truth and that this truth will set them free. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.